Welcome to Rocks of Fever. This is Vyasaran here. This episode is part two of a two-part interview with my friend Dustin Fox, who's a Ghanai citizen of the Blackfoot Confederacy. I really encourage you to listen to the first episode in this series, but for context, this was a conversation where where we explored colonialism, hockey, and Ghanai or Blackfoot experiences within it from the particular perspective of my friend Dustin, who played hockey since he could walk, is a fan, and really shares a lot of the same, uh, a lot of similar critiques as we do, as the three of us hosts do, but obviously coming from a very different place that I think we and all of our listeners need to hear and learn a lot more about. Um, so yeah, I hope you can listen to the first episode, um, but if not, enjoy, here it is. And when you talk about all these parents fighting other teams' kids and other parents I mean, the rink is, I, I was never a rink rat. I played ball hockey and so spent some time at rinks for a few years, but like I never really got the experience, but it really is like, by the sounds of it, it's like a site of settler colonial violence um, mm-hmm. where that is how these parents will get out their, mm-hmm. get out their colonial feelings against, uh, against natives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the Tim Horton standard family, um, how like nice they look in that commercial, but what are the feelings that they harbor about people whose land they're on? And, yep. you know, people will, some people will say that we're past the actual settler violence outside of state violence. Um, but, but no, this is just another way it, it, uh, it continues every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very contextual too right like in southern alberta like uh, yeah it's just like the it's like the texas of the, it's like texas of canada or like the south of canada to where we live in essentially like a bible belt community mm-hmm. like like it's just catholics and um mormons like a lot of like majority of our population so yeah it's very like in that protestant you know very protestant canadian mindset mm-hmm. um but then i'll talk to i have a I had a cousin, his name was um, Kennedy Fox Zacharias. He was the captain for the AA Beardies Blackhawks in Saskatchewan. So the Beardies Blackhawks were the only First Nations run organization in the country for double and triple A organizations. And um, when I would talk to him about it, he would say, well, some of the friends we met and some of the hockey he played at that level he called it like reconciliation in action just because like, I don't think I would have the same like white friends if I didn't play hockey. Right. But then those friends are still friends with me now to where in high school, like we just didn't have anything to relate to. So these white kids we essentially went to school with wouldn't have any relatability. Like they wouldn't ask us to play basketball with them and they wouldn't, you know, Mm -hmm. when we would go to the rink everyone would just be like well let's just play and then you would get to be friends and you would go sleep over at their house and you know be like carve out these relationships that were still go years in the years down the line right like I have a really good friend who I played against actually he moved and we played against the team uh we played against his team in the finals right and I just remember being able to have like fun, like friendly competitions with him, like within the game, right? Because we were such good friends. Um, but he would also tell me like, yeah, those guys are coming after you guys. Like they mm. were, our coaches like would tell them to come after us. 
And so it was just like, so you needed a relate, like some way to relate to people, right? And I guess just in that error context of reconciliation, that those were the conversations that had to be, that were needed to be had when I was playing was to actually get it out, like get everyone on the, you know, everyone's not going to get on the same page, but to actually have the explicit conversation to be like, hey, none of us are going anywhere. Like none of us are like we have deep roots in these communities mm, mm-hmm. where maybe we could start to have conversations about how we don't have to call the cops at these hockey games or mm. we won't have our kids like saying racist stuff on the ice or in the crowd. Right. But these conversations just never seemed to happen while I was playing. And uh, when these native teams would feel like they were ripped off, like when we would feel like we were ripped off by the referees um, you would go through like a formal process, like a complaint process, but then the league would look at it and just say, well, there's no racism going on here, right? Like there's like, we're not racist. Mm-hmm. And so they wouldn't even try like essentially. Yeah. So where that put us as like kids like playing hockey was just, well, hockey is just always going to be like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, guys who make it are got to be tough. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like that mindset yeah. where now that I see like after I, like learned what I've learned you see how it's structural right like you see how that is well you could have these conversations and you could not do this type of shit and not say these things to these other fans and just enjoy the game of hockey but like you said it's a it's an avenue to express your colonial violence right and once you deal with that on almost a daily basis and have uh, experience it firsthand weekend after weekend, like it does give you this sense of us versus them, right? Like mm-hmm. just so deep. And then it's interesting because when they would come to our barn, like come to the reserve to play, you would see how uncomfortable they were. Like <laughs> visually see how like how close they would sit together, like packed in everyone's and like just how how scared people would be to actually be on a reserve in a rink like with a bunch of natives right yeah and um but yeah there's a, there's a letter candy episode about that right <laughs> yeah i i don't watch it much but yeah there's an episode where the guys have to go play i only watched one season of it but there's an episode where these like two it's it's a white hockey team and there's like these two guys who are just like absolute stereotypes of like Ontario boy players and like super disrespectful too. Mm-hmm. And they see that on the schedule they're gonna go play play the res team. And it's just the, the whole episode's them shit in their pants about it. Yeah. And like so scared to even just like go to the rink and stuff and and, and to step out on the ice because they just get ruined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see yeah. that type of stuff is like my cousin, I was talking to him about it earlier while preparing for the podcast. Uh, he said, well, you know, that just gives them a little glimpse of what we experience like on the daily. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we'd go into these really hostile rinks and try play. But yeah. then when they would come there, we would kick their ass. Like, cause <laughs> you would totally see how you, you kind of know when people are like hesitant on the ice especially like mm. you just get a sense for it like playing hockey so much like you'd know when teams are hesitant to play so then that's when we would be like well this this is hockey like, <laughs> <laughs> like keep your head up and you know 
keep your chin strap tight. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And like, yeah, it was great. I remember one of my teammates actually, uh, well, my friend from the other team I mentioned earlier, uh, when we were playing in the finals, he, uh, he came up to me after the game and he said, most of my team are like terrified to go to the <laughs> reserve. <laughs> like everyone's just so loud and the glass shakes. It's like, they're, they're scared. And I'm like, I wonder why, like <laughs> so scared. And, you know, just such a limited experience with having native friends. It's like, and mm-hmm. see call people like savage or they play savagely <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah you're asking them <laughs> to, yeah. so, to get you back mm-hmm. so a quick question we're two men on the show um so we can't really speak to issues of gender um beyond ours but i was just just curious from your vantage point and i'd hope to do an episode about this uh with a more appropriate guest but what is Indigenous women's hockey like? What is the landscape of that that you saw in your communities? Like, uh, like you said, uh, a lot of uh, like a lot of other boys and men would use hockey as a way to find their whiteness, as one example of like, a lot of men would want to play hockey. Um, but how common was it for for women to play hockey? Like, did tournaments exist for Indigenous girls to play and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. So, I guess. So with the indigenous hockey landscape in Alberta, um, mm-hmm. there was two yearly tournaments. There was one tournament called the, uh, I believe it's called the Treaty Treaty Hockey Games or Treaty Seven Hockey Games, um, where yeah, like uh, like Kaina would get in there or Ganna, and then a uh, Bikani and Sixaga and the Stone like Morley or the Stonies, and um, like Tsutsina or the or Sarsi. And we would all have a tournament, right? And uh, some uh, tribes from Treaty 6 area would come down sometimes, like Musquachis or uh, Hobima, which used to be Hobima. And we would all play in a in a tournament in Calgary. And that was the Treaty 7 hockey games, which went every year on a weekend in Easter. And um, the next weekend was Alberta Native Hockey Provincials. So... Um, the next weekend we would all go up to Edmonton and that's where the whole province would meet there for an indigenous tournament. So I think, I think that one year I played midget, I think there was like 20 teams in just the midget <sighs> division. Like, wow. And they were from like Goodfish Lake, like Slave Lake, Sucker Creek. Um, all over. Pile, like, like all over the province. And uh, <clears throat> that's where you see like these like, WHL farm team recruits like playing for like Sucker Creek and this kid I don't remember his name I remember we played against him in one of our games but he was like an affiliate for the Portland Winterhawks and he had the best hands I've ever seen and he was so fucking fast and <laughs> these are the types of players that will play in these tournaments right because um, so the reserve gets funding for like recreational sports right and which goes back through the indian act which is kind of weird right mm. and because you gotta like with leadership they'll assign funding for these tournaments so since our population was so big we couldn't really pay players to come play for us right like that but these smaller communities they would be able to pay some of these players like mm. you know like i'll give you a thousand bucks for this tournament and like i'll buy you two hockey sticks like something like stuff like that 
and they'd be like, okay. And so we would have these amazing tournaments. Um, but every tournament, there was like a women's division, right? At every tournament. And these like women players and these like girls, holy shit, they were really good. Like a lot of them are really good. And on our team, like just my experience, I have a cousin and she's just one of the best hockey players I've ever seen. Like she just scores goals. Like, I don't know how the hell she does it. Um, her name's Jaislyn Bullshields and she would just tear it up in men's and women's hockey. Like, I don't know how the hell she did that. Um, and she stopped playing men's hockey and went over to the women's division, um, maybe in Bantam. And we would go watch her games a lot. And um, yeah, some of these women's hockey games were just as fast as some of the men's games, right? And like these junior women players are like really good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them play like collegiate level, right? Like um, in Toronto or the Yukon and like Edmonton and Calgary, like a lot of these players are even playing for college teams. Right. And just being able to see how the difference in the play. Right. And so women's hockey, they are in such great control of their body position. Right. Like they're, you learn stuff from when playing with them. Right. And, mm. and like, I would just learn so much stuff from um, these girls. We grow up playing just of how to, like use your butt in situations like in the corners, right? And how to mm-hmm. set guys off the puck when you can't hit them, right? Right, right, right. Which is now maybe even more useful. Yeah, useful now. And so yeah, like these girls we would play hockey with, some of them are amazing. And when they went off to play in like women's teams, I know a couple of them were asked by Hockey Canada to like be affiliated with them, right? And I think there was like two, two girls off of our reserve who, um, who were asked, but then they would play, I think, I think they'd play, would, would play like rec tournaments, like native rec tournaments with like Bridget Laquette, like in Calgary. Mm -hmm. And, um, they would all get together and they're amazing hockey players. Like, so like the indigenous women's hockey, um, I guess just, that world they they have some amazing hockey players in there so it's yeah that and that was always really fun to watch too like at these tournaments yeah because you should always be rooting for like the kainai girls right and to to hopefully pull through but yeah and so like we were just a hockey community essentially like yeah that's we awesome playing hockey almost all year round so that's awesome um definitely I'll ask you later for like some women players and femme players who would want to talk about this sometime. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for answering that. Um, now I wanted to ask about people, you know, who went pro. I know you have some cousins who played pro and like not necessarily in the show, but in other shows. Yeah. Like I was, I remember like my jaw dropped or whatever. <laughs> like when you were telling me about some of these guys that you knew, some of your cousins, can you tell us more about them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I guess just the one, I'm closest to just because we grew up together and like we're first cousins and stuff. Um, his name is Judd Blackwater. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he started playing hockey in Lethbridge for the AAA Wiseman, I believe, or the AA Hounds. Um, but when he started playing, I remember going to his games, but his line mates were uh, Devin Setaguchi and Chris Versteeg. 
And I remember in AAA, they were lighting it up. Like they were, like all three of them, were, I remember were so good. And um, that was when they were like 16 or 17. Wow. So I remember like Judd going over to Chris's house and like them being like really good friends. Like even till this day, they're they're really good friends. But um, just the, like I remember watching how good they their hands were, like the, how good of like puck control skills they all three of them had. And some people talking in the crowd, they were like, yeah, these kids like could go like pretty far if they stick with it. And then um, when Judd, Judd got drafted to the AJHL, uh, American Junior Hockey League, to the Brooks Bandits. And um, I think he was about 17. And then a year or two after that, he was drafted to the dub to Spokane, the Chiefs, uh, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, when he got down there, uh, his coach was Bill Peters, actually. Oh, shit. Yeah. <sighs> And so when he got to Spokane, but that's the thing is like as a family and like as people from the reserve, we were actually like Bill Peters fans mm-hmm. because when, because he led that team to win the Memorial Cup with Spokane. So, oh, well, I remember these days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, my cousin was drafted to the Spokane Chiefs was in 2006, I believe. And, um, my cousin's last year, when he was about to age out at 21, they won the WHL finals. And um, when they, like, as they're in their playoff run, they played the Calgary Hitmen, uh, I believe. But on their road trip from Spokane to Calgary, they stopped in, like, Standoff, like, which is the, the capital of our, like, reserve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they ran, like, a full day practice there and, like, skated with the kids, like, had a recreation skate and... Like that inspired, like if you look up the Kainai jerseys right now, they're just like Spokane Chiefs, like Montreal Canadiens colors. And uh, what's the name of the team in Kainai? Uh, I think they're just the Kainai Braves or something. Like, yeah, and those are like team chosen names. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. I see them. They look good. Yeah. And so those colors were like all pretty much inspired by that like Spokane Chiefs run, right? And mm. it's just because of, uh, like essentially because of Judd and like his connection to the community, right? Um, and so on his run, which was really um, cool, we were watching every game from like online. They they ran into the Tri-City Americans like in the uh, Western Conference Finals, I believe. Um, and on the other team was a guy named Colton Yellowhorn. And uh, he is from Bikani or Brockett. Like he's Blackfoot also. And so in those finals, we had um, Colton and Judd playing against each other and they were best friends. They're till this day, best friends, like growing up. And so, and they were, Colton was murdering the league. I remember, I think he won the scoring title that year. I'm not sure. Um, But he was doing great. And those teams were both like unreal. (laughs) Like they were both really fast, like junior teams awesome to watch um luckily judd came out of that series on top and when they got to the finals judd played in lethbridge like just like here in in the finals against lethbridge and uh he ended up winning the championship it was fucking awesome for our family and stuff but then in that time like which was weird is that uh like bill peters like was like in my grandpa like kind of had like a like not like a close relationship but it was like a yeah like 
thanks, you know, and then like, <laughs> really friendly. Like that was so wow. like Bill Peters is actually like, actually friendly to the people he would meet. Like and I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they won. Like the more I just watched their finals game at the Memorial Cup, and that's the year the trophy broke. Like, oh, they're the team who broke the trophy. I remember this. Yeah. Was this oh what year was this? This oh, was eight. Okay. Yeah, I remember I only paid attention to the dubs for like a couple of years because the Giants won. I was really into that. And yeah. Lucic was my favorite player for a bit <laughs> until reasons happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember I remember that story happening. Yeah, that was hilarious. I remember we were all watching that game and we were like, what the fuck? This broke the <laughs> But yeah, and so I got, and we would talk, like me and uh, Judd would talk pretty often. And he would just keep me in the loop, like what, how it was going, like how he was feeling. And he was just like a kid in the show, essentially, just well, in the dub, just trying to make it work, right? Which was mm-hmm. really cool. Um, but then when I would ask, like now that I ask him about this type of, like, was like I haven't really asked him about rec- like specifically reconciliation <laughs> lately, but he's always just kind of been like, well, like his attitude just, what he, like he'll say I don't know if it happens to anyone else but what he'll say is like well I'll just let my game speak for myself right like essentially right but then it's just so cool to see him take it to that level and um to where it came down to like when they would talk about um his style of play in interviews they'd be like yeah he's kind of gritty and he gets in the corners and he like knows how to protect the puck a lot and <laughs> oh again he could fight and he's he's tough and again he was just he just wasn't that fast right but all those other characteristics like that's that's where we grew up right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Kind of taught how to play and then and yeah like so seeing him make it to where it was was awesome but he followed in the footsteps of a couple other people that came from our community like uh Wacy rabbit was uh, oh yeah that's what i was excited about when you mentioned that name yeah, so Wacy, it's my second or third cousin. Like we're not too close. Like we're not as close as Judd and I. But, um, but yeah, and he, I, th- I believe he made it to Providence for a couple of years. I think he was playing in Providence, the Providence Bruins, like the and AHL team. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but yeah, like he was. I remember him winning the Memorial Cup and like with Milan Lucic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were all like, "Holy shit, that's like so awesome!" And then Colton from like i know he wasn't specifically from our community but he was tearing it up in the league and um a couple of years before him another guy came out of our community named clay plume and he was a really good defenseman for like the left the Canes. and um he made it to i think he was playing in the chl and bouncing around the echl for a while and um that's essentially where judd has kind of settled in the past couple of years um he made it to the ECHL, was floating around from like the Allen Americans, played in Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Wranglers for like three years before they went pro. Um, played for like the Fresno Falcons and the Alaska Aces. <laughs> um, he played in Stockton for a while for the Stockton Thunder, the Bakersfield like Condors. And then he got called up to the AHL for, he played like 40 games up there like separately. He played for like a, the Rockford Ice Hogs, and I think his last stint was with the Stock the Stockton Heat uh, for the Flames. Abbotsford Heat. 
Yeah, the Abbots for Hickey. <laughs> but he did. Abbots. It looks like he did play in Stockton at one point, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and we would just follow him around. Like we would go to Las Vegas to watch him play, and like we would go to wow. We would go to these places like just to go check him out, and that's so nice. Everywhere he would go, like usually the fan base would like really love him just because of the type of play like player he was. But um, he just never get to that next level. Like when he was playing in the A. I think he hit like seven or eight posts and like everyone he would feed the puck to like puck would bounce off their stick or they couldn't finish. And he was getting so frustrated in those 25 games. I think he only finished like eight some points, but he should have gotten a lot more. Just didn't reflect it a lot, but um, mm-hmm. just going to like watch him play. Like you love the style of play. You know what I mean? Like it just wasn't just him, but just pretty much like Michael Furl, like, like that type of play, right? And that's kind of the type of player that comes out of like our community, especially like guys who will like not not scared to fight, like we're not scared to hit, like got okay hands. And so those types of players, um, I feel like, especially in the game today, that type of play is kind of, how would you say? It's it's kind of dwindling out, right? Like Yeah, it's like being grandfathered out. Yeah. I mean, you know, Brian Burke or whoever on CBC will still say it's the greatest type of hockey mm-hmm. or like lament it being gone. But that is really interesting to think about, like, what what does that mean for kids wanting to get into the show? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really like targeted to, to keep them out of the game, but it kind of might feel like that sometimes. Right. Like, and it's it's almost like, well, shit, like, if I tried to play <laughs> in today's game, like I would get a penalty every time i try to throw a hit probably yeah yeah <laughs> where the, the line is now right but now because uh like now kids like i haven't played for such a like long time to where i've actually am now really interested in well, how are these kids dealing with it now like in, mm-hmm. like kind of where i played like how is it now and um i've only talked to maybe like one or two kids who came up uh in the league after i did and he was like, man, everything's changed. Like since you guys were playing, like the hitting's not the same. Like the size of the people aren't <laughs> anywhere type of the same, and just everything changed. So, but then I don't know where that conversation has led into like the racism part of it, right? And yeah, yeah. Like yeah, so it has that conversation. I'm still really interested in because I don't really know where that has went since mm-hmm. playing. But I'm I'm sure it's still there. Like it's, <laughs> it's underneath. It probably shows up in the playoffs a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, like watching Judd come out and just seeing what he like, experienced, right? Like these long ass bus trips and just these guys he was teammates with. Like he, I think he played with Derek England. I think in Las mm. or something. And he was they played against. Um, like I remember in the Memorial Cup. He, playing against like P.K. Subban and Claude Giroux and like Nazem Kadri and like so being able to ask him like how are these guys like playing against these guys he was like well you don't really think about it when you're playing them but now that it is it's like P.K. Subban was one of the quickest people he said he's ever seen on the ice like he was just so fast and so just these stories are really cool to hear because someone will ask like Colton like we'll go golf or something like this like over the summer, but I'll ask Colton, like, how is it like having 
like Carey Price in that for you. Like, <laughs> and he'll be like, dude, like he guy was like sick. Like he was just <laughs> Like, it's not much more than that. It's just these guys being like, he was sick. <laughs> That's essentially it. And That's it. So yeah, just being able to see like where these guys have gone to, even if they haven't made the show, right? And that's what makes it so cool for like, it's like Michael when Michael Frill, like a guy like Michael Frill. I keep referring to him because yeah, go for it. Because yeah, like one summer, I remember uh, Judd Colton, they ended their seasons relatively early, like in May, like in late April or May. So Judd gave me a call one day and he was like, Hey, do you want to come to Regina with me for a, the, uh, Oscana cup? And I was like, Oscana cup. What's that? And he's like, it's like one of the biggest hockey tournaments, like in the, like native hockey tournaments, like in, in the country. I was like, yeah, I'll go. I went there and, um, there was, I think there was like 40 teams. Like ju- it was like a junior, it was like a men's hockey tournament. So there was mm-hmm. like, 40 teams like it pulled up I think um so like Judd was in like the like the eagle division right and so they would be like the best players and he was playing with like uh like Nasty Morasty <laughs> do you know Nasty Morasty no I don't what's who's this I forget his first name oh that's a nickname then right <laughs> oh wait Morasty his first name John yeah named John Morasty <laughs> google that guy like that's who was in the league and that guy is like the ultimate goon right there. <laughs> like, and his, yeah, he's just he's this frightening man. <laughs> but he was in that tournament and um a couple other guys, but on the other side of the tournament, like on the other team, I think it, it was like Lake Manitoba or Swan Lake. I can't even remember the name. But um Judd's team met them in the finals. And what we found out was this was in 2017, okay. April 2017. And uh, what we found out was Michael Furland was playing on the other team. <laughs> we <were> like, he was... Because <laughs> I'm like a huge Flames fan, so I was yeah. like, wow, he's here. <laughs> and so we went to the rink and we seen him like on the ice and he had like his Flames pants and his Flames uh, and like his Flames nice. helmet. And like, it was just like a native hockey tournament, right? And oh, wow. I think playing with all of his cousins. Because they were all just calling him like Mike, and like just seeing them play, it was just so fucking cool. Like just seeing them. And while we were there at the rink, I remember just walking around, going to get a coffee or something, and uh, I seen this big native dude at the end of the hallway with like a, a hockey bag, and I was like, I wonder who that is. Like, I've never seen that guy. And as I got closer, I think it, it was Ethan Bear, and he just finished one of his playoff games playing the Regina Pats because he played with the Seattle. Uh, Thunderbirds. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. When they were playing in the playoffs, he was at that tournament, and he just wanted to go check it out. Like, and so there was just these like native hockey powerhouses at this tournament. <laughs> it was just really cool. So amazing. One of the best things, like one of the cooler things you'll hear about pro athletes or something, is just when people are like, "Well, they're just good guys." Like, you know, they're just friendly people. And yeah, that's all Judd said about. Like for you're just like, dude, that guy's a great guy. He's just like one of the nicest humans to meet. So, so I'm a huge fan. <laughs> That's awesome, Dusty. I don't. I I could ask you like five more questions, but I got a feeling I'm gonna ask you one again. Yeah. Uh, next time, I don't know. At, you know, come back to us maybe after you've like spoken a lot with uh, with the guys playing hockey back home right now. Yeah, like as as you've like learned how things have changed, like definitely, like I think people are gonna really enjoy this one. Yeah, that'd be sick because 
I haven't been able to talk to anyone about hockey like while we're we've been at school, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm, they don't fucking play hockey anyway. No, nobody plays here. Even the mates there, like Saul, we met like my buddy. He's like, "Yeah, we don't play here, man. It's, <laughs> it's not cold enough ice to stay frozen." Like, just yeah, like, so. yeah. I'm like, all right. So like, yeah, he, he doesn't play back up in Bella Bella, is what you mean? Um, I mean, there's yeah, no space. So. Up there. Yeah, yeah. Like in the rainforest, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I told him, "Yeah, we grew up on ice, pretty much." He's just amazed by it because. <laughs> He's talking to a real Canadian. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. He's uh, but yeah, I love these conversations just because they bring back a lot of like really cool memories, and especially some that could be couldn't be looked at through like a different mm-hmm. lens, right? Mm-hmm. And because I remember we were at this tournament, although all of our team like, and that's when. Uh, Jordan Eberle and John Tavares like won for the gold medal for Team Canada against Russia, and they like came back. And was that? Was that Is it? this the 2008 Summit Series? Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, I was just talking about that with somebody. Yeah. I went to the Vancouver game for that. Lucic was on there. I remember Sam Gagne was on there. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, that's it's too good. <laughs> so, and like as a hockey team, we were just like, fuck, these guys are the best team. Like you know, and we. We we just fell into that discourse too. Like we just love like Team Canada, like hockey. Oh know? yeah. No, I tell the story all the time on the show about how like I was a huge Team Canada person. Like I still I still watch all the Canada games and the juniors, but I don't care if they win as much anymore. Yeah, me. Like, like I just don't care. And I went to the when their juniors are in Vancouver. I told the story a billion times in the show, so I don't know if we'll make it in, but. <laughs> I went to the final game that Canada played. Um, I think it was a semifinal against Finland. And me and my buddy were both wearing Team Canada jerseys. And the whole game, all the fans around us, it just slowly started to dawn on me that, like, oh, we're the bad guys. <laughs> like, all the people around me were clearly, like, very rich conservative types who, like, had, like, a $200,000, like, F-150. But, like were working class like mm-hmm. in their kind of de- like they wanted you to think that they were like salt of the earth like from the mud people working class like no these guys own like hot tub dealerships like <laughs> this is all their business and when somebody on finland scored in overtime i <laughs> I, I burst out laughing because <laughs> i was just like so happy <laughs> and it, just to see like the air just get vacuumed out of the room out of the out of the arena and like everybody else, just like in horror, I was laughing, and my buddy was like, "Yes, we gotta go. You can't laugh. Like you can't. We're gonna get beaten here. Like you're gonna get asses kicked if you do this." And so I'm like walking out like this. <sighs> Holy shit! That was that was the day for me that I was like, you know what? Mm, I'm not a Canada fan. I'll watch the games because they're exciting, but like, and I'll follow it. But like, if they lose, it it's not like it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Yeah, really. Hey, that and that's what I've noticed too. Like, I just don't really care if they lose. And, <laughs> it's like, just that, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, it's funny now because the way you yeah. see it, like, they're probably just these same kids, like, shouting some race, pretty racist shit at me at these hockey games. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. You know, when the facade it gets old, it's like, oh, well, I played hockey with these kids. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, at first hand. Yeah. I think. 
just for the recording i think uh it's probably i'm like lo- i'm looking at like the full recording now it's like over two hours yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be a fun time for jackson when he edits this uh i i'm gonna i'm gonna push for it to be two episodes for sure <laughs> yeah. um and i'll definitely like forward you to how to spread that around and we'll tweet about it too i really like to come back and uh yeah, and get some more stories. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, totally welcome. And then forward more people to us, too, if you want. This was so much fun. Like, this was, I mean, for me, I think about, like, all the different lives I live. I live, like, my, like, wannabe activism life and and, and wanting to, to really be a part of and be committed to Indigenous legal resurgence and, like, all the new things I've learned and I'm trying to work on with that. And my hockey life, like, usually these are very different. Mm-hmm. but like this was like this was a lot of knowledge sharing. like yeah. this was really it really wasn't just about the sport this is about your community yeah. and this pro like this stuff has probably taken up more of your brain space than reading about indigenous law specifically in like at like uvic especially right like mm-hmm. this is more like materially about the life that you know um, yeah. And you really, you, you bore out a lot of it and it's really like, hopefully if the episode is, can be edited properly, um, like as in, hopefully I didn't screw anything up on this end. It's, it's going to be a great teaching experience for a lot of people. And so like speaking on behalf of them, super grateful for this. And yeah. And I guess one thing um, like we, like we didn't get to, or like, we, like, we just, like, just sure. I'll go for it. Is just um like that, especially with like indigenous hockey, especially where you're coming from as like um like a settler, where the indigenous hockey is kind of manifested or embodied by like masks, right? Or yeah, the, let's talk about that. Go for it. Yeah, and so like um like yeah, with that the Braden Holtby, like you just kind of uh, got my attention to the Braden Holtby mask controversy. Mm-hmm. and where my brain like when when i seen it i was like but that is that isn't as bad as a who was the goalie for the blackhawks like oh they made their run but you remember like, Corey crawford or hobby or hobby bullen uh it was Corey crawford oh. but i remember Corey crawford's helmet like that one was like i'm not like making comparisons but i'm just it's just funny to see how Corey crawford's mask i believe um, does it have um feathers on the right side yeah and it has this painting on the back of like the the native silhouette with like his head down and his is like i think the painting is called the end of the trail painting i think it was Corey crawford i don't want to throw him under the bus but i believe it was one of the chicago blackhawks goalies oh shit a picture of like the end of the trail you know? oh is it the <clears throat> the guy on the horse yeah Oh, it's like that is like a representative of like the story behind the painting was that that's what the Indians looked like at the end of the Trail of Tears, right? And so, like, when I seen that, even being a little younger, I was like, "What the? Like, what the fuck was this?" Like, I I have never heard of this before. Yeah, and so, and now that I bring up like um, Holtby's mask, Mm -hmm. um, like that. That's like, yes, this is like a problem. Like it is like pretty problematic, but it just goes to show you like 
where this conversation of reconciliation comes out, right? Like now that that's an issue, but like if this was the age of reconciliation when Corey Crawford had that mask, it's like shit that that would have been, that would have been bad. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That just shows me like the difference in the conversations now. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like, really something. Wow. And it's like, cause that like, yeah, that Corey Crawford one, that that's the one that really made me go like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Like, all right, we got the Blackhawks. We got the chiefs. We got it. <laughs> and it's, it's like that juxtaposed. Like I'm looking at the side profile. I think it's the link from the athletic where the photo is from, but yeah, the side you see that in the back and then you see like, Oh yeah, he's got the feathers on the um, like traditional feathers in the right. Um, I don't know who the artist was. Um, and on top of the Blackhawks jersey, it's it's just like it's spitting on top of it, you know. Like it's it's just how would you say when the conversation of like Indigenous hockey does go to like goalie masks and like um, like logos, especially like that's something that's like a kind of a pro sports issue as well, like not just a hockey issue, right? Mm-hmm. But then within hockey it's just really interesting because there's been so many great like legendary hockey players who aren't really talked about as being like from first nations mm-hmm. communities, right? Like Brian Trache. Right? Or, Dude, when you were, when you mentioned Brian Trache, I like, I Googled Brian Trache and I like <laughs> not know that he's cremate. Yeah. And like, Theo, <laughs> like Theo Fleury is like a wicked example. And mm-hmm. that guy's, Oh my God. Like that, that guy, like being a fan, he's, broken my heart in a way that's good. do you follow him on twitter yeah i've seen his stuff <laughs> and a flames fan too right so it's like dude you're the you're the flame but then it's like you're kind of kind of crazy kind of like kind of left field there guy like <laughs> you're talking about some of this stuff but yeah and but yeah so like um i guess just to get back on track with these like experiences with masks it's you know, just coming from my perspective, it's like, well, the conversation shouldn't be about the mask, but also like how the mask, why they thought that was appropriate. Like, mm-hmm. is it paying respect or is it mm-hmm. you're just throwing it on there to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And with Corey Crawford, it was obviously he just threw it on the mask to to do it, right? Like that's yeah. not yeah. Like respecting culture. It's not even like, it's like grasping at straws, right? It's like, oh, you think that is like respect to indigenous people? It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if you the meaning behind that picture, you wouldn't have put that on there, right? And mm-hmm. so then I'm not sure like what Braden Holby's stance is. Like, um, maybe he's just trying to like be like, res- like quote, quote, right? Like respectful. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, what about guys like, you know, these guys in juniors who, instead of talking about like masks and equipment, like who you're giving these chances to, like who you're giving these opportunities, like ice time to essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so if it's like, all right, well, we're talking about these masks, but at the same time, like it's taking away from the real issue of like giving these indigenous players, like opportunity. But then even that idea of opportunity is different to people. Like, cause like I just read this, um, Beardy's Blackhawks like article, the article that came out of it and why it was um, essentially dissolved. It was because they wanted to give other players in Saskatchewan like an equal opportunity because the First Nations team was like bringing in players from across the province. 
that would have to drive like yeah your game yeah but then that's just goes back to my point of like comfort level right like like if you're a native kid growing up in like central sass but then have to drive like three hours to practice but your compromise is to get treated like shit like every game you would just drive two three hours right to play with like mm-hmm. and that goes into opportunity like that goes into your your performance right like the, how you perform on the ice so even that idea of like well you're giving us ice time it could be like well like maybe give funding to these like teams like this and organizations like this to actually give that opportunity to like individuals who actually need it like groups of people who will actually need it and because yeah like if you read most of these stories from these indigenous hockey players they came from like shit conditions like Theo Fleur was like borrowing skates that weren't even his mm. side right? and mm. you know Jordan T2 had like a cocaine addiction I'm pretty sure which he's made public and mm-hmm. Like Michael Furland now, I believe, is 10 years sober, which is awesome for him. Yeah, but yeah. All of these like underlying issues, they're not, they don't exist in a vacuum, right? And they do come to your performance level, right? And so when you talk about opportunity or when people talk about opportunity, like equal opportunity for players, it you just have to think about that. Like, well, I don't want to make it sound like really like pitiful, but at the same time, it's like, we would get our pucks stolen sometimes mm-hmm. that's like limited amount of pucks. And it's like, I bet no, no kid, no privileged kid who grew up in like middle of Vancouver ever had to deal with that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, but then these guys are like, these guys have the ability to put up like 50 goals sometimes. Right. It's like essentially Despite that, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Quote like diamonds in the rough. Right. It's like, we do take that pretty personally because to even get these people to these levels, it does take the community, right? Like, mm-hmm. like play, how much like entry fees is like $4,000, like $5,000 to play double and triple A. That's like, we talk about access to justice a lot, like access to like just playing sports, right? And like hockey is an elitist sport because you can't be poor to play this. Like when I was playing, I was just lucky enough to have like support from my grandparents and parents and stuff. But to, afford like $400, $600 skates on top of like a $200 stick. And then what that's, it's like rent. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'd rather be, I mean, I got caught up in the conversation too about Holpe, but like I'd part of that just makes me think about how the conversation is more about like representing a culture just for the purpose of respect when like, well, think about, how many players could not make it to the show? Like how many, like I, that pisses me off more now. Um, I don't want to be talking about the, how how should I say this? Like the conversation is so obsessed with showing aesthetic support and respect for a culture as if the culture is dead, Mm -hmm. as if they're not part of what's on the ice too. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about the things that keep, that they keep out um, a Blackfoot Britain Holtby out of the league. Mm. Like how many, how many uh, amazing NHL players could we be, could we be fawning over right now? Mm. If not for their pucks getting stolen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And see, it's just like, yeah, just like exactly that. And, and especially like another, like one more thing I guess you could get into is just like the, the standards surrounding indigenous players when they do get to these levels. Like, mm-hmm. Like, uh, 
like like a Patrick Kane, like when he beat up a cab driver and like, you know, yeah. an asshole. Yeah. Um, but imagine like a dude with some stereotypes surrounding him with like surrounding alcoholism, because that has mm-hmm. also happened where some native players have just had like one too many and made some stupid choices, but then they're cast as like a bad, but like a troublemaker. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you get a guy who like Patrick Kane's an amazing hockey player, but at the same time doesn't excuse you for being an asshole. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and it's just these like double standards, like, you know, it's these like cultural double standards that just underlie the sport, especially like a sport that's dominated by white culture. It's not like we're the NBA or the NFL right now. Right. And so, mm-hmm. So that's just another issue that comes into it and like giving these players ch- like chances, I guess. So mm-hmm. give them the same chances. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this was a hell of a time. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up the, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll wrap it up. Finally, whoever's listening to this. Um, thank you so much, Justin, um, for being part of this. I'll give you a do send off uh, on top of this on our Patreon and on Twitter and whatnot. But this was, this was uh, one of my favorite times recording the show, period. Uh, sorry, Jackson Elliott. <laughs> but um, I hope everybody listening to this learned a ton. And uh, follow Dustin at... Floating Primate. Floating Primate. All over space, no space. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, 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 I'm just going to close it now. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, Dustin. So that's it. That's the end of our two-part series with Dustin. I hope we can have him on again soon. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I really had a great time shooting the shit with my pal and learning a lot about his life. And as always, if you enjoy our show, please subscribe to our Patreon feed where we put up a lot more content, including Canucks Heritage Minutes, which are episodes where we go deep in on importantly ridiculous moments in Canucks history. And you can find us there at patreon.com slash roxyfever. You can follow us on Twitter at roxyfever. You can follow me on Twitter at Vyasaran, and our guest and friend of the show, Dustin Fox, can be followed at at Floating Primate. Please send your hate mail to the Calgary Flames organization. Wow. Yeah. All right. Now I'm, now I'm scared about how to close the recording. <laughs> when that ha- wait, oh, wait, there's a button for this. Stop recording. <laughs>